journalist, not a terrorist. Stick up for the First Amendment. I know what's right. Get out and vote. The First Amendment type. Don't let nobody vote for you. Went to Lafayette Square. Yeah. First Amendment. Cause Trump don't care. November vote blue. Get the kids out of the cages. Get out and vote. And increase our wages. Come on now. Our next guest on The Heron America is Dan and Green. He's an extremely versatile actor, comedian, scriptwriter. He's done everything from being on the sitcom Moesha, one and only, all about the Andersons, The Shield, Everybody Hates Chris, Martin Lawrence's First Amendment. The man has done everything. He's an incredible performer, a comedian, and a good friend. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Green. Golden Gloves champion. Pretty, pretty impressive. Uh-huh. Which means you can take uh, dealing with a heckler on a whole different level than I can. On a whole different level. Whole different level. <laughs> they only got one round with you. And then also you, right. get, you got a master's in computer animation. Yes, from Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State. Amazing. I never even knew that about you. It's, you know, it's great to bring you know friends on the show because I get to learn more about them than normally I would. I mean, we were out talking on the, the fairway, the golf uh, world, when, when we met. Yes. Which is really good. As uh, Julian keeps is still playing golf. What got you into golf? I mean, you're from Philadelphia. I started golf when I got to California. It was really being involved with entertainment, and I knew I was getting invited to celebrity golf tournaments, and I couldn't play. I didn't know how to play, so I I got tired of being invited and not being able to play. And so I said, you know what? Let me take some lessons, and I got hooked. And the rest is history. I love watching golf movies for some reason. And you know, my, my first experience with golf is I got to golf with Joe DiMaggio as a kid. Oh, okay. I was in Florida. Circumstances came a certain way, and they're like, oh, you, want, you want to go golfing with us? And the group of people, and I said, sure. And they go, oh, we're going to be golfing with Joe DiMaggio. And, of course, right. um, sports, I'm like, Joe DiMaggio? Yeah. Heck, yeah. And, I mean, I still have a, a baseball from his signed a baseball. He gave it to me. But uh, I played the best golf I've ever played. I mean, I was just amazing. And I think, and the next time, I wasn't good at all. So it's like, I've had right, a... Right, right. Well, that's how golf is. And trust me, even if you play golf, you can play golf really well. And next you know, to come back, and it's like you never played the game before. Yeah. Yeah, that was a weird thing. It's it's a hard game truly to master. You know, yes. I'm looking at it going like, look, these guys basically are wearing polyester casual clothing. I look at golf courses and I think, wow, imagine the things we could grow on that right. golf green. Yeah, like... How many houses can we put up in here? Yeah, <laughs> but you got into acting, and you've been on just numerous shows. I mean, just the the, the list is incredible. You know, of course, that's an outcome of your stand-up, because you're, you're a great stand-up. Thank you. But what's the difference when you're acting and doing stand-up? What would you say the one thing you've discovered? I can't be as spontaneous with my acting, because you're giving lines, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that you, you know, you stick to the script, Yeah, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, because... Where in comedy, you can bear off it if you wish to. Well, you're the one-man show, basically, comedy. I mean, once you're up there, that's, exactly. that's all you. It's going to come back. You know, it's going to come back. You're, yeah. Humans need each other desperately. Right. And I, and know- I think that's what this. I think that's what a lot of people are finding out now with this COVID, because I think people are finding out that, man, it's no fun not having someone around. You know what I'm saying? You know, we are social beings. That's something a lot of us haven't haven't really thought about. That we really are social beings. It's how everything about us is. We're right. we're born babies that can't take care of themselves. We need people, and that's that's what I think we're finding out right now is that we need each other desperately. We desperately need each other. Yeah. What you I think? Um, hopefully, we'll learn from that too. You know, hopefully, we'll learn that we do need each other. We we'll, we'll show each other a little more respect. But I don't know. <laughs> what else you got going on? You got the voting problems. You know, people don't vote. Black folks, you got to start voting. 
Only once, sir, I know you're from out of town, only once in California did 98% of the people in L.A. and California voted. Four years ago, Prop 215, legalizing weed. Man, everybody was voting. Brother, man, they was letting out of jail to vote. Where you going? Got to get that pass, dog. People wearing different hats. Everybody was voting. But you got to vote, man. <laughs> That's a trip out I'm serious, man. You got to vote. I was in a voting booth one time, and the dude didn't know what he was reading. He looked at me, yo, man, what'd you get, what'd you get for number three? What'd I get for number three? I try to call all my friends, you know, uh, as much as I can during COVID. You know, check on people. It's funny you say that, because I've told people when I go live, like, you know what? Call people, because there's a lot of people. And I really believe, like, right now, during this time, you know, the part of the year that's coming up mm-hmm. with the holidays, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to need that. They're going to need that conversation. You're going to want to laugh a little bit or have someone say, hey, I hope you're doing well. You know what I mean? And now, what do you think the future is going to be for you? I mean, we can never see the future, but what, what would you like it to be? Well, the thing I would like, Rick, or I see myself, I mean, I love doing stand-up. And I always want to continue to do stand-up. But I've been writing for like the last 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I've written a number of good films. Actually, one of my films was actually stolen before and made into a movie. I can't mm. say what it is, but we you know, we had a case with that. But in saying that, what I really want to do, man, I would love to either be on the sitcom, you know, or behind the scenes writing a sitcom that I've ri- either written or produced or movie, make movies. I've written, I got five screenplays ready to go. I actually wrote a film during the pandemic. A full feature film, I was very happy that I've been wanting to write this script for, oh my, Rick, for seven, eight years. And I finally just said, you know what, you need to write this film, you got time. (laughs) So I wrote the film, but I'm hoping that in the next four or five years, man, I'm just doing stand-up, acting, and writing, man. I just want to entertain the world. I just, you know, I just love people, man. I think if anybody really knows me, knows me, they know that about me. I think they do most of their crazy stuff because they high. That's why I don't get high. I don't get high. I go to church, first of all. I don't, I don't smoke weed no more. I used to smoke weed, though. I used to be a bandit. You know what I'm saying? I smoke weed, get up in the morning, have cereal. I mean, I was that kind of cat. You know what I'm saying? You know, Rice Krispie a joint. It's a good flavor for me. You know what I'm saying? Other thing. Another reason I don't smoke. You ever smoke weed with somebody? He don't put no money in the weed. But when he got the joint, he got the most to say. I put the money I'm smoking. I pass. That's why I stopped, Daddy. He got the joint. He want to start asking questions. So, uh... Yo, dog, you watched the game last night? I'm like, no, but I'm watching my weed burned up in the hand. You might want to pass that. I've known that about you for years, and I've seen how you are. You're one of the friendliest guys I know out there. And as comics go, you're also the most positive. I've never seen you really put down other comics. I see you about your work. It's refreshing. But the lessons you've learned in stand-up, you can now put to writing. You can put to producing. You can put to all that yes, stuff. Yes, What I'm hearing you saying is you, you know, put me in, coach. You got skills, you got talent, and you right. want to be used. Well, you know what? I would say that is true. I think I'm, I'm at that point now where it's like that because, you know, Rick, when you, when you prepare your life, like what, mm-hmm. what we have, and you have to, you know, what we have done as stand-ups and writers is we, we, we keep preparing for that moment. You know, I just hope that I'm giving the opportunity out in L.A., to, or, you know, just in business in general, to really show the talents that I have, you know, and the creative talents. But, well, yeah, you're right. I'm probably at that mode. But yeah. I'm not bitter. And I, and I think that's very important to always express as a person and as a comic with us being entertainment. Yeah. Because it's so easy to go down that road. Oh, you no, know what it's, I mean? it's the easiest road to go down. It's the one road you don't want to. Because when you're bitter, you're comparing yourself or what you think your success is supposed to be. And it's hard because we also yeah. come back to a regular life. We don't have laugh tracks following us. That's why so many comics get depressed. Because they have that moment right. of laughter and people loving you and applause and nighttime and everyone. It's just magical. And then you go home. And, and, how many, how and, many, and even when you get off and even when you get off the stage and someone goes, you were good. But that, that, you know, they won't be so... Geeked on your show, but 
they'll go, but when you talked about that, I really understood what you were saying when you talked about, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you touch people's lives as well. I had guys that taught me how to write. The great thing about me is I started in clean clothes, but I think the turning point of my career was when I had a terrible show at Maverick's flat one time mm. and J. Anthony Brown was hosting and he roasted me so bad. <laughs> oh no. He roasted me so bad, man, that, I mean, he tore me up. He said something and this was really crazy. He said, but while he was on set, he said, and if you ever see Dan and Green's name in lights, just keep passing by. It just is when I was new in the game, like 94, 95. Oh wow. And Rick, it changed my whole career. You know, and this is when LA was hot with comedy. All the clubs, you know, from the Latin clubs around and oh, yeah. in East LA to everywhere. And I kept saying, I'm done. This is the, this guy's one of the top comics in the city. And he just told, and this is one of the hottest clubs. I can't come back here. But what it made me do, it made me stay at the Comedy Act Theater and it made me just write and perform. Yeah. I didn't go to any club for almost six months. Hmm. I just stayed at the one spot and I worked and I worked and I worked and it just made me work harder. It you know, really did. I see it as a chance for growth. You yeah. know, I remember seeing... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, especially even now. Even now, if I had a show that I didn't think went well, I don't go home and go, oh, I go, you know what? What, what could I have done differently? What was my approach? What You know what I mean? What could I have said? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're growing as a performer. You've done so much acting. You've done all this work. But I got to tell you, just keep doing what you're doing because whatever you're doing, you're doing it right. Thanks for coming on the show. Keep telling your voice. Keep telling your story. And we'll be looking for you. Dan and Green, ladies and gentlemen. Most definitely. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Nahara in America podcast. There's no border we won't cross to bring you the news. Nahara in America. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Our next guest you've seen on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno on Comics Unleashed, Premium Blend, the Showtime's Latino Laugh Festival, and his own special, That Ginger's Crazy. He currently uploads on his YouTube channel, Pocket Party Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Darren Carter. Welcome, Darren, to the Naharan America Show. You know what, before you do anything in show business, you're like, I want it to be perfect for that one listener that's going to actually look up Pocket Party Podcast. And then, but what if they don't understand? I actually have a vlog on YouTube with my son. They're not going to, they're going to be, and then you realize like most of the stuff, people are just being entertained and they may or may not even follow through. Oh. So who cares? Yeah. Who, I love your work. And I know people, if they, yeah. if they listen in here in America, they can search you and they find out what you do. And, and I'm a big fan. I've known you, I don't know. I, I was a young runaway coming to Hollywood when I met you. I remember I was in, I want to say I was at the comedy store in La Jolla and you came down and did either a short set or you did something maybe I don't remember but I think at that time you might have been working either either in Living Color or you were working on Mad TV all I know is I want to say this might have been in like 95, 96 I yeah. think I don't know 94 somewhere in there and I was like wow a writer from LA is like here like in my presence like this is so cool like you're one of the first people I'd ever talked to or met that had like worked on like it was either in Living Color or it was a sketch show I know yeah. that probably Mad TV it was one of those uh, but you know and then I took that all away by asking you for money to get back to L.A. And that was a sad point. So, <laughs> I was so, like, oh, maybe it's tough up there. It's real tough. No, it's real okay. tough. No. I get no respect. I get no respect. I'm in L.A. <laughs> but you, I remember seeing you and you were doing, you would do Snoop Dogg. Well, I was in the shower one day and I literally was like, if people sing along to the shower or they sing along to the radio and like Junior Juice was on and I was like, rolling down the street. And I was just kind of, and I was like, hey, I kind of sound like him. And then, and I brought it to the stage and I guess, especially at that time, like bright red hair, 
pale skin, freckles, and then this guy's like, hey, what's cracking? Nothing super much to do with you. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, didn't expect that. I, uh, I love Snoop Dogg. He really is one of my favorite rappers. He's so laid back, you can't help but dig him. He's like, bow, wow, yeah, 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 it's the big Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Thank you. My friend goes, man, when you do that, I swear to God, I'm not even kidding. Your face, you start to look like Snoop Dogg. I go, man, I'm white. I look like Snoop Dogg's x ray. <laughs> You can't help but feel relaxed when you see Snoop. They should put him at the bottom of the television when you're watching the news, right? Just have him pop up after every story. Right? Kind of take the edge off. Today there was an earthquake. Bear where was cracking point two one three. Ooh, way. <laughs> Gasoline prices continue to rise. From a Lincoln Navigator to a Geo Metro. Oh, no. An NFL football player was arrested for 500 pounds of marijuana. Ooh, wait, now that's the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm a comedian imitating Snoop Dogg. I wonder if somewhere on stage tonight, Snoop Dogg's telling jokes. <laughs> if he's doing Darren Carter, the party starter. Wow, <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, what's cracking, y'all? <laughs> what are the two sexiest farm animals? What's that, Snoop? The brown chicken and the brown cow. <laughs> Why? Brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> brown chicken, brown cow. You played some tough Latino houses. I was with you. I remember. I was like, <laughs> you would. Yeah. I mean, because basically, let's face it, you look like Opie Cunningham for for that audience. Yep. Like you'd you'd walk yeah, on stage yeah. with your red hair, and it was like you were maybe your RFD coming to the hood every single time you'd stand up. Exactly. There. I used to do a thing about gangster rap, and I said like, we're, we're the Mayberry locals. <laughs> Mayberry so forever. Like, yeah, exactly. I definitely like as I've gotten older, you know, my started hair, my hair was thinning. I hung on to as long as I could, and I was like, you know, I'm just gonna go for the shitty blue. So I just, I just started like trimming my hair maybe like three or four years ago. But sometimes I look at those photos from when I was, you know, young, and I'm like, dang, my hair was bright orange. Like I could see why I drew a lot of attention. I would look at you, and you were fearless, man. You would go on stage, and you'd, you would joke, and you'd tell these things. You do impressions. You know, I, I always never wanted to follow. You I, I, because you would really get the crowd going, and I'd come up and give really kind of intelligent comedy. And homeboys yeah, would come yeah. up to me; they'd be like, "Hey, Holmes, let me tell you something." You're like, "You don't make me laugh, but you get me thinking." And I really appreciate that, Holmes. I really appreciate that because <laughs> I'm not laughing. Hard. Yeah, yeah, you got me thinking yeah. hard, but I get you, man. You know, like like they're there in Carter make you laugh and all, but you know, you a couple of weeks later, Dude, I'm laughing. It's such a never-ending puzzle trying to figure it out because now I'm doing comedy that's probably I'm not gonna say making them think, but making them think more than I use. I look back at some of my stuff from. 15, 20 years ago, I'm like, you're right. It was fearless, and it was like, I was pretty confident. That's a great show. It's on. It's called Gangland. They do a documentary on, on different gangs, you know, and uh, Gangland, it's like Facebook for cholos. <laughs> I love Gangland. It's scary, man. I watch it late at night. You know? <laughs> I've actually, this is embarrassing. I've actually been wearing nothing but boxers, throwing punches towards the front door, like... <laughs> Imagining if, like, the dude with a neck tattoo broke into my place. <laughs> I wish that dude would try to come into my castle. Yeah. <laughs> my wife runs in. Darren, what are you doing? Are you playing Wii Fit? <laughs> because we don't have that. Every episode of Gangland, they interview some gang member, right? They hide their face with a bandana. <laughs> They're cloaked under secrecy in the shadows. <laughs> Gangland, tell us about your gang. <laughs> We're not scared of nothing! 
we run the streets. <laughs> You're not facing the camera. I know, bro, I can't see nothing right now, okay? I'm like... I got caught sleeping, I feel stupid. I'm all blindfolding myself. Ride or die, ride or die! Where do you see your gang going in 10 years? Well, right now, we barely started a MySpace group. <laughs> but you know what's embarrassing? We forgot our password. <laughs> What else can you tell us about your game? You know what, bro? Snitches get stitches! <laughs> but if you're out there and you know our MySpace password, like, let us know, okay? Like, <laughs> we run the streets! Which one? The one by the mall! <laughs> hey, man. Let's wrap it up, bro. It's hard to breathe under this bandana, okay? <laughs> How do you instill fear into your rival game? I don't know, bro. I can't breathe, man, all right? <laughs> so I would do those kind of bits, and it would destroy because I could, like, act them out and do the voices, and it was super fun. And then I had other material where I was talking about how my wife, uh, you know, we, we have, like, at the time, we, our son's two years old or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they were, like, it's a different genre of comedy in a sense, at least at that time, because I wasn't able to, like, make it real funny. And I remember, like, afterwards, I did a show in Stockton, and this guy came up to me, and he goes, he was, like, this guy who had, like, tattoos and the shaved head. And he told me that I needed more gang jokes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you get that. You know, you need more gang jokes. Yeah. What's wrong with you? You're talking to a red-haired, yeah. all-American kid going, yeah. you need some gang jokes. Yeah. You know, talk about your life. Talk about the, the pain of Beverly Hills. In my mind, I'm thinking all I have is that gangland joke and maybe like, you know, like a snoop. I mean, I'm like, oh, it was a tough time to transition. You know, did you ever do that with your comedy? Like, sure. where it was one style and then it kind of transitioned? Yeah, to... I started off really a monologue performer. I came from theater, so I would do monologues. My first job was on uh, Evening at the Improv. They're gonna, oh, awesome. They're, they're going to pay me to be on Evening at the Improv. So I basically put up my monologue and I made it into jokes. And it worked. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I did Evening at the Improv and then years later, I put my show at the Improv on Sunday nights, Latino Logs. So I came from yeah. monologue, but I admired performers like you because you would do everything to get a joke. You would do impressions, you'd do all these thousand things, and I was doing kind of the yeah. more monologue. Because yeah. I remember, you know, your Snoop Dogg was always great. There's a compliment to you, is you've always been fearless, but I've also seen your comedy grow. What, what I've loved about it is you talk about your son, and you talk about your family. I mean, you have a great relationship with your son. Yeah, I follow you on Facebook. Oh, man. It's the best. Thank you, Rick. It's uh, You know what's funny is I'm adopted, right? I'm adopted, yeah. so I don't know if that plays into it, but like I think every day that I have a child, I feel like it's a, a new family tree starting over in a sense mm -hmm. for me. Like, yeah. uh, you know, maybe it would have been this way either way, but like I definitely embrace every aspect of fatherhood. Well, me and you are both of us are good dads. We, we, we love our kids. and But, you know, you're on stage. You're talking about your kids. You're talking about your family. That's, to me, the most vulnerable. That's great, man. So that's, I, I hope this podcast goes, you know, like number one. I hope things are, you know, oh. just the fact that you're doing it all the time is going to make you happy. And it's going to, I don't know, you'll see. It's just, there's good things that, you know. I know. I, it's it's funny doing this is I'm not waiting for a job. I, I basically, you know, create the work. I have a great team around me. Bo Billionaire, Cindy Flores, you know, Eduardo Rosenfeld, Darren that's Simmons. Great. I mean, just great people. Uh, Maria Lapidus. I made a simple vow to do no harm. That was my thing. Mm. And comedy is about doing no harm. You've never been a mean comic. Either have I. I love having you in the show. And I see whatever future that's going to be is going to be bright for you. So thanks for coming oh, on Nair in America. Thank you. It was great to be on, Rick. You're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank Darren. You. Thank you, Darren. Ladies and gentlemen, Darren Carter on Nair in America. We'll be back. 
You're listening to the Nahara in America podcast, the podcast that isn't afraid to tell it like it is to people who aren't afraid to hear it like it is. Stay tuned. Something new is always happening. We have a great guest coming up here on Nehara in America. You've seen him in so many different films, and I can't tell you how excited I am. You've seen him in Sex and the City, Dumb and Dumber, Band of Brothers, Shameless. I mean, he's in everything. Ladies and gentlemen, Rene Moran. Hey, what's up, Rick? Hey, how you doing, Rene? I'm good, man. What's going on? Oh, man, you are a busy man. I mean, you're coming out with a new film right now, The Tax Collector with Shia LaBeouf. I mean, I can't keep up with your career. You you, you tire me out watching <laughs> your career. Rick, you are too kind. You are too kind. You know what? I'm just, I'm just doing my best, and I'm just grateful for anything that's coming my direction. But, you know, even before that, I got I to gotta give you thanks. Rick, I'm, I'm not even sure if you remember this, but you and I go way back. Do you remember working with me? The Latino Logs? Rick, actually, you and I, you gave me my first opportunity in my entire life to be in front of a camera. Do you remember a little show called Barbecue Bill? Oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> Barbecue Bill. Do you Bill. remember? Yeah, of course. It's one of my favorite shows. It was it was such a weird show. What would you do in it? That was, your, that was your first job? Okay, so hold on. I'm going to take it even a little bit further back. Uh, so take it back. You and I, um, you used to be a member at a gym called Bodies in Motion in Encino. Do you remember that? It was right on Ventura yeah. next to Big Five. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. I was... so, so I used to work the front desk at that gym, and I was there every morning at 4.45 a.m. to 1.45, Monday through Friday, and you would come in the mornings, and after, I don't know, after a few weeks of getting to know each other, one day you came up to me and you said, hey, would you like to be in this show that I'm producing and that I'm starring in? And I had never been asked to do anything like that. I had just moved here from Florida, so it was all brand new to me. And I, I was like, yeah, I would love to. What, what, what would I have to do? And you told me the role and you asked me if I had any friends that would be down to do it. And I brought one of my friends in the scene. It's him and I, and we're like these gangster guys and we're supposed to beat somebody up in an alley. Mm -hmm. And I remember we showed up to this really beautiful house. It was all white. And I'm not sure, I don't remember where it was exactly, but you were dressed up, you were in this apron and you had all this gear on. And yeah. it was my first time seeing the cameras and all the production stuff. And it was so exciting. And then I remember we shot our scenes and um, I was excited. And then I don't think you ever used it, but still, it was amazing. And it was my first time on set. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. I don't know if you remember. No, now I do. I do. Because, you know, I've, I've done a lot of shows and I was like, oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Wonderful. And I, I, I was I started racking my mind. I'm going, what, what was it? Yeah. Because a lot of stuff in Hollywood, people don't realize it's run and gun. It's like yeah. you have always been kind of, you know, athletic, strong guy. And, and I'm thinking this this gang member. And, you know, one of the first jobs I gave was to Emilio Rivera because he did Latino logs. And then Gilbert Escavel did Latino logs and Jacob Vargas yeah. did Latino logs. So that shows had over something like 250, 300 actors and all made it all the way to Broadway. Oh, it was incredible. I love that. Yeah, it was the first successful Latino show on Broadway. I'm the only Mexican-American ever written and starred in a play on Broadway. You're a special one in our community. We got to take care of you and, and you've been taking care of us too. So on behalf of all of us, man, thank you uh, so much. Well, Renee, that really, honestly, I, it meant a lot to me. You know, I've given a lot of people their first job and I, I almost never think about it because the way I look at it is I'm, I have a gift that I can spot talent. It's not that, you know, I'm talented. I just happen to see other people that I, I think are either, one, great people or two, talented. You know, I was looking at your bio and, and we were talking about it. Yeah, I mean, you've done 
I mean, so many films now and, and so much TV and Band of Brothers. That project, incredible, you know, the work you've done. And I don't think people realize the importance of it because no one showed until Band of Brothers, even Latinos in World War II. I think it was Desi Arnaz was the last guy in a, in a World War II film. You know, it's funny. I love that you mentioned Desi Arnaz. Desi was the first person that looked like me that I ever saw on television. And I was so young when I first saw him that I didn't even understand that I was looking at a reflection of myself on the TV screen, but I knew that something about it felt special. He was the same for me. First Latino I ever saw on television was Desi Arnaz. And yeah, here's, here's this Cuban singing, you know, Baba Lo, oh yeah, and all this world. And yes. yeah, it's like, hey, 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 hey. I mean, I was like, wow, there's a Latino guy talking and they have this love and he's not the gardener. He's not the, you know, he's actually the guy running the show. He was the producer. He was the one who came with three camera sitcom, you know, all this different stuff. And to think that our people were so amazing at what we did in Hollywood. We sometimes forget what we have done, how we have added to the American experience, you know, and people forget that. It's not that we came to California, named all the cities and then disappeared in a UFO. You know, we've always yeah. been here. We've always been a part of it. And, you know, hearing that story from you actually is, is really touching. It, it seriously is. I'm, I'm, I know I'm supposed to be funny sometimes. Thank but. you. I was excited to share it with you, Rick. Honestly, as soon as um, I got the call from Maria and she told me I'd be talking with you, I was like, when you gave me that job, Rick, I, you know, I didn't move here to be an actor. I had moved here for other reasons. And you gave me my first taste of that life. And I'll never forget it. I'll always treasure that memory. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that, that, uh, I, Thank I, you. I got tears in my eyes, man. I'm telling you, cause, uh, <laughs> cause, <laughs> you know, you. a lot of times, you know, I, I've never expected anyone to really thank me. I just, I, I, the way I look at it is we're all in this together. You know, it's, I'm, it's expected yeah. I do that. It's like, that's what I'm supposed to do. If I have an opportunity, yeah. I'm supposed to reach back and pull someone else up. That's that's what I'm supposed yeah. to do. It's nothing. Yeah, you're supposed to help a, a fe- your fellow man or your fellow woman. You're supposed yeah. to help. That's what we're here for in life. I mean, that, that really is it. You said something key, Rick. You know, we're on borrowed time. And I tell you what, as the years have gone by uh, since the last time you and I worked together, you know, it's been a while. I will say that, I've, you know, I've had to say goodbye to some people. And that's just such a reminder that, yeah, the time is ticking and we are on borrowed time. So let's make the best of it and be grateful for the time that we do have left because um, the lights could turn out at any moment. You know, you could be on top of the world and then it could all slip away. But yeah, I'm so grateful to reconnect with you. I'm happy to hear that you've healed from your injury, which is incredible. It sounds to me like you still have more work to do in this world, Rick. We're going to need those contributions before you head out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You know, I I look at this way and I go, look, I I feel like I've been blessed in a lot of ways in my life and I've, I've gone through my trials and tribulations. And But I have to say, it's all worth it. Even the lowest point you're at, there's something that you can contribute. Yes. You know, that's what you can do. You can yes. give back. And so if it's not about looking after yourself, then how about looking after another person? And that's that's one of the biggest things I've learned. I got a rescue dog and I, I left I left the dog at home and I turned on yeah. the news. But I turned on Fox News and I came home and the dog was a racist. It was the weirdest thing. It just was, it was barking at black labs. It was like just wrong. So... <laughs> No idea we're even going to this conversation, but I was going to ask you about the tax collector. You know? All of a sudden, I'm going, wasn't I supposed uh, to ask him about the tax collector? And we're, you know, this is the, for people to, now in the tax collector, you're going, this is the same guy in the tax collector. And that they're talking this beautiful 
spiritual moments and all this stuff. But in the end, you know, you've played a gangster. You've played some rough roles. I've done the same thing. For me, the, you were in the tax collector. I should be the accountant in any gang film. It should be just me going like, <laughs> you know. We the, all, everybody needs a money man. So yeah, the money good. man. I'm going to be the accountant going, first of all, that is not a vacation. That was a killing. So it's work related, okay? <laughs> well, I don't care what you say, Rick. I need to be in the next tax bracket. So figure it out, yeah, please. That's right. <laughs> figure it out. Okay. Those guns, first of all, you took a deduction last year on those guns. I can't, I can amortize, but, you know, it, it's true. It's like the way we look at worlds and stuff. But how, just quickly, how was it like uh, working with Shia LaBeouf and the the tax collector? Honestly, it was just um, incredible. I, it was an experience, first of all, that I never thought would be, be my real life. Um, uh-huh. But other than that, it was very inspiring. I, I think that's the best word I can use to describe the experience I had on that set. It was all business. You know, we were yeah. there to work. And the level of professionalism and dedication that I saw from Mr. Shia LaBeouf, from Mr. David Ayer, and every other actor that was involved on the days that I was on set, I was just inspired by the dedication. I've been on different sets, and every set has its own personality. And this one, I immediately could tell that we were all here to give everything that we have. Yeah, We were all focused. There's times on sets, you know, there's, there's different lessons that I've learned, and the one that I will take and I will continue to try to um, emulate moving forward is that dedication, that drive yeah. to be completely 110% submerged at all times in the work that you're doing and focus and deliver the good and go home. And then the next day you're on set, and guess what? Do it all over again. Yeah. You may have an incredible day on set one day, but you still have work to do. So don't let that first day of success overcome you. You got to stay on your toes at all times. Like a boxer. Yeah. You have four rounds where you're solid. That fifth round has to be just as solid because you could get knocked out at any moment. So yeah. for me, it was just inspiring to see the level of dedication that the actors brought, especially Mr. Shia LaBeouf. It's something that I hope to emulate. Renee, thank you for coming on Naher in America. I can't wait to see more things you're doing. You're welcome here anytime. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, Renee Moran. Thank you so much. Rick, take care of yourself. And again, thank you so much for having me on as a guest. I had a blast oh. uh, reconnecting with you, man. Great I'm time so happy to hear you're doing well. You're listening to the Nahara in America podcast. Stay tuned. Something new is always happening.